0: If I walk down these aisles and talk to you individually, and I ask you the question, who is the author of confusion in society, in church, or in homes? I think if I know you as a body, 99% of you would say, Satan. He is the author of confusion. Anywhere. But here's the problem. Satan never comes out in red and uh, horns, pitchfork and says, hey, I'm Satan, I'm here to confuse you. I'm here to bring division in your home and in your church and in your society. That would be easy. (laughs) I wish he would, but the Bible said he appears as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. That's why he uses somebody with the term reverent in front of their name. He uses somebody who is a fast talking, slick politician who uses religious language. He would use celebrities and popular people. He uses professors in universities and teachers in the schools. And the list goes on and on and on. But perhaps there is no greater confusion that Satan has managed to bring to our society in trying to destroy it than the balance, the biblical balance, between men and women. Gender confusion is one of Satan's greatest tools to destroy many a professing Christians and many a professing church. Sexual confusion has already produced a whole generation of people that they don't know whether they are Arthur or Martha. That is really the tragedy that we are facing today. But the bigger tragedy, actually for me personally, the bigger tragedy is the church leaders— who have gone out of their way to redefine or even water down and modify biblical truth in order to accommodate this terrible cultural confusion. Instead of standing up and standing out, they gave in and they surrendered. In fact, they have gone even further in order to accommodate and to please the culture— they have changed the Word of God. The one thing that I want to remind you regarding the church in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, in spite of their spiritual immaturity, in spite of their so many problems in the church, we have been seeing this throughout the series of messages, in spite of their utter confusion on some issues, they respected the apostolic authority and the divine wisdom of the Apostle Paul, despite of all that. And that is why we are seeing here in this epistle, the Apostle Paul is basically answering questions that they have asked him And because they respect his apostolic authority, because they respected his divine wisdom, they come to him with questions about lifestyle and not doctrine. And they ask these questions, and the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, he gives them an answer to every one of their questions, and that is why 1 Corinthians, this God-inspired answers to these questions are very relevant to us. And I want to show you the love and respect for the authority of the apostle Paul, something that the modern church today is trying to undermine. In verse 2, he says to them, "'I praise you for remembering me in everything, and for holding to the teachings that I have passed on to you.'" Now some of your translations said traditions. The word paradosos in Greek a means a body of teaching that he passed on to them. He's not talking about some dead rituals and dead traditions that some people think he's talking about. He's not. But please hear me this is a very sensitive and important subject. It's a very important issue for our day. The main problem in the Corinthian church was not concerning doctrine, but morals. The main problem in the Corinthian church was not concerning theology, but lifestyle. They knew biblical truth, but they did not know how to apply these truths into their everyday life. They knew biblical teaching, but they did not know how to live a godly life. And that is why the Apostle Paul praises them for their strength before he deals with their weaknesses. In this case, they had a confused notion regarding biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Can I say any more how relevant that is? (laughs) Biblical distinction between men and women, between the role and the function of men and the role and the function of women, has always been an issue among God's people. Satan created that division in the Garden of Eden, and he continues to reinvent it in every society and in every time in history. As you know, in this church, we preach the whole counsel of God, and we don't skip the tough passages. And that's what the popular culture would want us to do, and that's what popular preachers want to do. We don't do that. In fact, I remember years ago, when this militant feminism began to rise in the mainline church to which I belong, back those days, this was just a budding movement. And and a Christian magazine back in the 70s had this cartoon. And the first frame of the cartoon is a number of militant feminists standing on the railway platform station with placard and posters and saying, "'Down with Paul!' Paul is a hater of women, and he those placards, and obviously, could you see the enthusiasm even in the cartoon? And then the next frame, the train pulls into the station, and Paul is coming out of the train, and he looks at them, and he says, I see you got my letter. Beloved, that's how they undermine biblical teaching, by undermining biblical authority and the authority of the apostles. It's very popular to say we need to distinguish when the apostle Paul is speaking as a rabbi and when he's speaking as an apostle. Who's going to make that distinction? The Bible said they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. When they wrote the words of God, God offered those words, all of them. The ones they like and the ones they don't like. He authored all of them. But here you must understand that whether it is Paul or Peter or James or Jude or John, any of the New Testament writers, when they were writing, not only they were inspired of the Holy Spirit, not only directed by the Holy Spirit, but they were only expounding eternal truth that has existed in all of the Old Testament— In fact, I can tell you, and I can prove it to you from history, that it is Jesus and His gospel who elevated the status of women. It is the gospel of Jesus that gave women dignity, honor, and equality. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that when it comes to salvation, men and women are on equal footing, and the fact that men and women are created separately and differently, and they're given different roles and different functions that no gender is superior over the other. The satanic effort that is trying to demasculinize men and masculinize women, the satanic deception that keeps men from living up to their God-given responsibility— which causes women frustration, depression, and forces them to do something. The satanic deception that has invaded many a home and many professing church today can only cause turmoil in all of these institutions. And we're seeing it today. First Corinthians 11, Paul confronts a similar confusion of roles and identity in the church of Jesus Christ if you think this passage is about dress code for men and women in the church, you miss the meaning. You miss the eternal principle that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here. You really miss it. And the principle is this. Men and women are equal in every way. And remember, this is very radical teaching, whether it be among the Greeks or among the Jews. is very radical and Paul said, while they are equal in every way, each of them serve different functions. And when it comes to the true biblical Christianity, there is no superiority-inferiority dichotomy in the Word of God between men and women. The only difference in function is in role. And those difference in functions—listen carefully— because that's what the Word of God is concerned about, only two institutions, the home and the church. He's not talking about the secular culture. Keep that in mind. I'm going to refer to it again and again. Home, church. That is the concern of the Scripture. Why? Because after all, what is the church? What is the church? It's the gathering of the families. You see, families are to daily worship God together as a family. That is your little church. It's in your home. And then on Sunday, we come to a building we call a church. It's not really the right word, but we come to a building called a church, and all of the families gather together to do what they do normally at home, worship God in multiple families. Let me point the example of cultural confusion that I am watching with deep dismay. Cultural confusion— thorough confusion. Back in January 2017, there were something 40,000-plus self-described militant feminists gathered in Washington, D.C. The guest speaker, the key speaker, is a hijab-wearing, sharia-touting speaker by the name of Linda Sarsour. And she was touting the Sharia. She want to bring the Sharia to America, just like they're doing it in Europe right now. And I'm sitting there, want to pull my hair. I really did. I want to pull. I said, "These precious women, do they understand what the Sharia law of Islam that they all can think it's great <laughs> have said, and what is the legal status of women in the Sharia?" Now, in case you don't know, let me tell you. Just in case some of you don't know. In Sharia Islam, or Sharia law of Islam, a woman is half of a man. To this day, the laws in many countries in the Middle East, a daughter inherits half of what the son inherits. In the case of courts, if they need two male witnesses, and if they're not available, they have to be at least four female witnesses. That gives you an idea of what this insidious teaching that they're trying to bring to Europe and to the United States is all about. In fact, this was very common during the time of the Apostle Paul. The Jewish rabbis had a prayer they taught men to pray. It goes like this, I thank Thee, Lord, that I am a Jew, not a Gentile, that I am free, not a slave, and that I am a man not a woman. But in the Christian faith, Jesus taught by setting the example, in practice, in showing what spiritual headship is all about. And the way he showed spiritual headship, men, I hope you're listening to me, and he trying to show us the example of a biblical headship should be like, he put on an apron— and he poured water in a basin, and he washed dirty feet. That is spiritual leadership. Servant leadership. No feeling of superiority. The Christian faith is neither male chauvinism nor militant feminism. The Bible is innocent of these extremes. Can I get an amen? Here's how the Word of God shows us the difference in function and in role. That men and women occupy. And that is why the Apostle Paul, look at verse 3, underline it in your Bible, because I want to show you what the real crux of the argument that the Apostle Paul is making here is in verse 3. And he is saying that just as the Father and the Son are equal in the Godhead, within the Godhead they are equal, the Father and the Son are equal, The Father and the Son had different function and different role to play in relationship to salvation and in relationship to ministry. And yet, they both are equal. God the Father, God the Son, are equal in every way. That is where He begins. That's what you must understand where He's going from here. Think about this. If Christ Jesus, God the Son did not fulfill His role, humanity would be still living in total darkness today. Redemption, salvation, would not have taken place. If the Father did not willingly, or if He was not willing to go through the agony of being separated from His Son, we would be still in darkness today. The Father fulfilled His function. The Son fulfilled His function. And yet both are equal in the Godhead. Paul is saying, in the same way, when women fulfill their role and fulfill their function, and the one of not only will end up keeping the family from being disintegrated, but will keep whole of society from being disintegrated. When men fulfill their God-given role and function of being the spiritual head, the spiritual leaders of their homes. They not only prevent society from collapsing, they keep it from becoming hell on earth. See, Paul never makes a distinction between men and women in terms of their personal worth, in terms of their abilities, in terms of their intellect, or their spiritual walk. You'll never find that. You'll never find it in the Scripture. But there's more. (laughs) There's more. In some of these areas and we all know that, some women even excel more than men in some areas. And that is why he is only sticking to the church and the home. You see, their differing of roles has nothing to do with superiority. It has everything to do with function, just like the Father and the Son. And that's where he begins in verse 3. And that is why, beloved, they complement each other. They complete each other, not contradict each other. They complement each other. You know, I personally, when it comes to this subject, I like a little bit of humor, because there's so much anger in our society about the division that's happening in our society today. I just like to get into the funny part. Years ago, I heard about someone who said, there is nothing more confusing to a man than driving behind a woman who does everything right? <laughs> or like this timid man who said to his wife, we're going out tonight, and that's semi-final. <laughs> but the best one is, I heard about a very prominent woman who was quoted to have said, and the quote is correct, anyone who thinks that this is man's world is probably not as bright about other things as well. <laughs> if this is a man's world, it's because women don't want it. <laughs> Now, here Paul goes all the way to the book of Genesis, and he expounds on the eternal principle. He's not coming up with any new teaching. He's not coming up with some newfangled ideas. He goes all the way to the book of Genesis, and he begins to talk about God's eternal principle regarding the different assignments and function between men and women. In fact, both Peter and Paul were only expounding the eternal truth that's in the Scripture— They're not coming up with new ideas. Here's a poetic way that somebody put it. Expresses that difference really well. Women's faults are many. Men have only two. Everything they say and everything they do. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the Apostle Paul doing in this passage? He's merely reinstating, reinstating the assigned role of men and women that God created them to do in order that they fulfill God's purpose in their life. Look at verse 3 again. God is the head of Christ. What does that mean? That while Christ is in every way equal to the Father, and yet John 4, 34, and John 5, 30, and John 6, 34, He makes it clear over and over and over again that He came to do the will of the Father. Why? Because there's harmony. There's harmony between the Father and the Son in their understanding of the different roles that they are fulfilling. I make your promise. I make your promise. Show me a harmonious home. Show me a harmonious church. And I will show you men and women who are contented with their God given role and responsibility. Amen. Here's the principle that Paul is teaching here is the same one that he taught in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the same principle that Peter taught in 1 Peter 3. Same principle in the Scripture. Same consistency. I'm always telling you this. Always interpret the Scripture by the Scripture. Don't take a verse and run with it. That's what gets you into trouble. Always interpret the Scripture with the Scripture. And he's saying here the principle is this is about the church and I'm not talking about anything else. He's saying when you come to worship the Lord in the church do not dress up in such a way that draw attention away from God and onto yourself. Not to dress immodestly in your dress code. Don't dress provocatively so that people's attention in the congregation ceases to be on God and be on you and what you're wearing. Why? Because you are gathered together on Sunday for the purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus. Because your attention should be on Him and Him alone, not what somebody else is wearing. Because all of the attention should draw you to Him and not to the latest fashion. And that applies to men and women. And here Paul is dealing with a specific culture and a specific issue that is relevant to the Corinthians, because he never repeats it anywhere else. He takes the eternal principle and he applies it to this church and applies it to this church and up this church, whatever the church culture is in. And that is why it is not necessary, as I said, repeated in the Scripture. But in Corinth, here's what you need to know: Women were shaving their head because they wanted to look like men. And men were growing their hair because they want to look like women. (laughs) And Paul is saying that the distinction between men and women should be clear. But this distinction should not be practiced or observed by tyranny, only by love. The Father sent the Son, who is distinct from Him, out of love. The Son submitted to the Father out of love, not compulsion— And this is how it should be between husbands and wives at home and men and women in the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? Please, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that the Son loved His bride so much that He died for her, that He died to redeem her. But there's a key verse here, verse 11. He starts in 3, talking about the Father and the Son, then he deals with the issue, and then he goes back to a, an eternal principle. In the Lord. Can you say that with me? In the, Lord. in the Lord. I'm not talking about anywhere else. In the Lord, a woman is not independent of man, nor a man independent of woman. Oh, how different this is that I saw on a poster It says, women... Need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. How different this utter loving dependence, or like this one that when God made a man, she was only joking. Beloved, chauvinistic attitude toward women, say nothing about abusive women, it's alien to the scripture. It's alien to the scripture. This arrogant attitude on the part of men and women is alien to the Scripture. And while I'm at it, let me say something personal, and I always say personal, because if you want to attack me, attack me, not the Word of God. <laughs> I want tell you this. This is from my heart, and take it as you want to take it. I believe with all my heart that no woman should ever, ever tolerate abuse from men. Amen. I'm telling you, if a husband is abusing his wife. You can tell them the preacher said that I need to pack your bag, put it on the driveway, and say, hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more, no more. Husbands are to love their wives, not abuse them. It breaks my heart when I see these stories, and vice versa. Wives are to lift up their husbands, not to put them down. Now, I cannot emphasize enough how radical, how radical this liberating teaching of the Scripture in the first century culture. It was so radical, because I said back then, just like in some Islamic culture today, they see women only as an object. That's why they cover themselves completely, because they're just an object, only made for men's pleasure. And you see that in extreme Islamic cultures. And in the Greek culture, in which Paul is preaching, they literally traded their wives at will— And so the Apostle Paul comes in and says, no, man is dependent on woman and woman dependent on man. While men and women serve different roles and functions in the Christian church, they are not different in their spiritual importance to God and to the church. Neither is woman independent of man nor man independent of woman. Now, beloved, let me testify to you that in the past 50 years, if it was not for my wife's encouragement and support, I wouldn't be here today. If it were not for my wife's faithful exercising of her role and function in the family over 50 years that we've known each other, I would not be here today. Listen to me. With all of our ups and downs, with all of the challenges that we faced in the early days, in the middle days, and any days, but in the 50 years that we have known each other, The one thing that we have never disagreed on is the different roles that God has given each of us. And I know the same can be said for most of you, if not all of you. The New Testament makes it very clear that women play a vital role, they have played a vital role in the church whether it be John Mark's mother, who turned her home into a church, or Mary Magdalene, who was given the privilege of announcing the resurrection of Jesus to the disciples. And not only then, but even in history, there are so many periods of time when men abdicated their God-given responsibilities of spiritual leadership, or when they could not exercise their headship, women kept the church alive with their prayers and ministry. That is the absolute truth. In the same way, Paul said, men's spiritual headship does not make them independent of women. The different roles and the functions of men and women are not different in importance, they're different in kind. Can I get an amen? Amen. And again, he's talking about the home and the church. Not dealing with the secular culture at large. We're talking about only two institutions that the Bible is concerned with. And while one of these differences is that women do not teach men, and yet you and I know that women usually are the most influential shapers of men. You say, how? (laughs) Women are indispensable in developing boys, which are men in the making. Whether men acknowledge it or not, men are dependent upon women and vice versa. Years ago, a wonderful Bible teacher made a statement, I have never forgotten— He said, God gave women to men to civilize them. (laughs) And I want to say amen belongs here. (laughs) Certainly that is accurate interpretation of verse 11. And so let me conclude by reiterating a vitally important matter. Here the main issue, not women cutting their hair or men growing their hair. (laughs) Although Paul is frowning on this, there's no doubt about it. But don't miss the main issue, don't miss the illness by focusing on the symptoms. The heart of the matter that Paul is dealing with here is the issue of inner rebellion. What do I mean by that? Is whether I am willing to accept the way God created me to be, whether the way I receive it with gratitude and live it up in my life, or I rebel against God's ordained role. That's really the issue, the issues is of the heart. You see, the church does not and should not legislate things like haircut or style of clothes. But these are not the core issues. These are the symptoms of a deeper problem, the core problem back then, and the same thing, the core problem today, is that do I have a rebellious heart? Do I have a contentious heart? Do I have a heart that to defy the will of God? Do I have a discontented heart for where God has placed me? Do I accept the way God made me and the role He assigned and ordained for me, or do I operate and function in the role that He did not create me to be? I am trying to prove something to someone. Beloved, the battle of the sexes, so-called, did not start even in the first century church. The battle of the sexes began in the Garden of Eden. And where the first thing the devil did is create a wedge between Adam and Eve. That's the first thing he did. But thank God for the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ won the battle, where Christ's love won the day where Christ's submission to God the Father will ac- to accomplish what no movement, no revolution could ever accomplish. Christ now can fill our hearts, whether we are men or women, with joy and contentment. And he gave us only one way for spiritual contentment, and that's obedience and not rebellion. Can I get an amen? amen. Will you pray with me? Let me implore each one young, old, doesn't matter, that you ask yourself this important question. Am I rebelling against God-ordained role and function and created order, or am I willing to be obedient with His strength, be contented where I am? I plead with you, do not rest until you answer that question satisfactorily to yourself and to God, because in the end, that's what really matters am i absolutely rebelling and fighting or am i contented and joyful father god you are the only one who's a searcher of the hearts you're the only one who knows the motives we don't we don't even know our own motives at times and so i pray holy spirit of god you inspired those words those many years ago, that you, Holy Spirit, take what you have inspired Paul to write and apply it to each one of us, young or old, that, Father, that we may feed upon your Word and that we grow in contentment and in joy, that the world will see and come to know Jesus through our own love and contentment to Him and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.